Happy Monday and welcome to another episode of the Equestrian Performance Mindset Podcast. I am Jocelyn Liliano, I'm an event writer and mindset coach and of course also your host for this podcast. And I am absolutely thrilled that you decided to tune in today because together we are going to make sure that you start making strides in your mindset so you can truly make strides in your riding. All right, welcome everyone and welcome to this very first guest interview on the Equestrian Performance Mindset Podcast. I am so freaking excited today because I'm going to be talking to one of my good friends from the Student Rider Time. Her name is Lauren Innes. And what makes it so exciting, apart from the fact that she's a wonderful woman, what makes it extra exciting is that a lot of the time on this podcast, I talk about my someday goal and that my someday goal is to ride the five-star badminton. And what's super amazing about Lauren is that she is just on the edge of actually doing this. Um, so Lauren comes from the GB and she's got two horses. Uh, the first one is called Flipper. He's a 12-year-old, which she's going to be heading to badminton with. And then she's got Taito, who's a six-year-old, who's currently at the BE 100 level. And what actually like makes this whole thing like even more remarkable is the fact that Lauren actually has a day job. So she's not having a job in the horses, but she's actually working as a qualified shorted accountant by KPMG. KPMG? KPMG, yeah. KPMG. <laughs> I almost got through the introduction there. <laughs> um, but yeah, with all that being said, to be honest, I think, I think Lauren, I just want to welcome you to this, this interview, to the podcast. And I'm super excited to just have this conversation together with you. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Jocelyn. So how are the preparations going? Like, how is everything going with the with, with Flipper? Where are you at in this journey? Where are things going? Uh, well, badminton is uh, currently two weeks away. So we're in the final preparations now. And it's been a long journey, but a, not, a, not a strange one, but a surreal one. Because as everyone knows with horses, you you have these aims, but you can never plan too far ahead because anything could go wrong at any moment and every time I take him to the gallops every competition you just hope that it goes well and that he comes back and he's feeling well after them so I've been taking one day at a time and each day is a day closer to the big event and as it's getting closer I'm just keeping all my fingers and toes crossed that um, everything continues to go well and we get there because it would like whatever happens when I get there obviously I'm super excited to go and it's a dream but just I want to do well but to be there is incredible. So that that is just fantastic. And hopefully it it will come together on the day. Yeah, I love that. And I know what you mentioned about that. It's it's a journey, right? I think a lot of the time we set those big goals. It's like the journey is what, what makes it so amazing, right? That yeah. Just, just yeah. Going there. Um, and it, it didn't, especially in this day and age, it's, it's really difficult to qualify for badminton to get those qualifying runs and each run you do it's um you go you have expectations and you've got to you know see how the event goes and um, I had one set back along the way and had to do another I had to do three four-star longs rather than two four-star longs um but actually looking back it's probably prepared me better in the long run for badminton because it gave me that extra kind of competition experience at the four-star long level before I step up so um, it's actually been a, almost a blessing in disguise 100 percent. yeah I always say everything happens for a reason right oh, yeah definitely definitely 
someone out there looking out for you and making sure you have exactly the journey that you're supposed to be having along the way. Super. So Lauren, actually, um, I want to start this, this interview out with some rapid fire questions. So I want everyone to just get to know you a little bit. <laughs> I know in a lot of podcasts, they do like rapid fire questions at the end, but I think that's a shame because I think you really you know, get to know people when you ask those questions. So if you don't mind, we're going to start with rapid fire questions. Is that all right? Okay. Yes. Fire okay. away. Fire away. So, so actually, yeah. So how we met actually, Lauren, maybe we should tell people also that. So we actually met through it the student writers um so i don't know how should we describe the student writers the international student writers um intense equestrian competition with some excellent um evening entertainment <laughs> i love i love how you do, it was some british pronunciation <laughs> and all that yeah absolutely i love how we put that so actually so first question for you here and to be honest like those are like rapid fire so don't overthink this just you know answer whatever comes to mind so first question actually what is your favorite student rider memory i think my favorite student rider memory would be when i won individual silver at the world finals in florida and that would have been back in gosh so long ago i can't remember the year maybe 2015 i want to say um but uh competition in um uh, is it West Palm Beach um, in the incredible Wellington horse show venue? Um, amazing place to compete and obviously against some amazing riders. So a fantastic experience. Um, okay. One I definitely won't forget. I can imagine. Yeah, I actually I didn't go to, to, to Florida, but um, yeah, there's been, been a lot of amazing competitions for sure. And I can imagine just Florida. I just saw the pictures from it, the videos from it. And I was like, damn it, why did I go there? <laughs> Yeah, it was, I suppose, just different because it was so exotic and far yeah. away, but um, it was it was worth the trip. 100%. Super. Okay, so what's your favorite riding exercise? Getting a little bit more serious here. Oh, favorite riding exercise. I think my favorite riding exercise is a really simple one that you can do with any horse um, in a small arena, in a field, anywhere you want, and that is having four poles on a 20-meter circle and trying to canter between them and get exactly the same number of strides in every single quarter. And then when you get good, you can put them into little jumps and then you can make it a figure of eight. And there's so many things that you can do with not a lot of facilities. Um, like I only have a, a 20 by 40 arena at home, so I have to get quite inventive with um, my exercises yeah. on the horses. That is definitely one of my go-to exercises. I love that. That's super. Yeah. And that is an exercise that a lot of people think is easy, but it really isn't. It, it <laughs> very hard. You think it's, it's very simple. And actually, when you fall over one of the poles, you think, oh, need to repeat that until I'm better. Um, yeah. Definitely. A hundred percent. Thank you so much. That's a great exercise. Right. Who or what inspires you the most? Uh, that's a tricky one. Um, I just... I think that it's not someone specific, but reading about, I guess, obviously, as eventing is my sport, it's the, how the top riders got to the top of their sport. And often in eventing, it's different from some of the other disciplines where um, you don't necessarily need to have come from money and you don't need to buy horsepower to get there. Um, and so, yeah, eventing is quite unique in that way, isn't it? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Do you do any physical exercise apart from horse riding? 
Um, so I do, I have a personal trainer twice a week in the event season. Um, and wow. I do, um, a mixture of strength and cardio exercise. Um, and when I don't have a PT, I do quite like a bit of a swim, but, um, I think as many people, uh, like me have a busy lifestyle, I think the non-riding element gets a little bit forgotten about, especially in the off season. So that's why I have a PT because when he turns up at my door, I have to do the exercise. I love that. That's such a good idea. And is he like specialized on horse riding or is he just? No, he, he, he knows absolutely nothing about riding, but what he's very into is symmetry and coordination. Yeah. So um, I think that's very transferable, whether you're whatever kind of athlete you are. So he's got me, I'm, I've never been able to touch my toes. And for the first time I've been able to touch my toes. It took him two months. So twice a week for eight weeks, and I was able to touch my toes. So he must be doing something right. That's super. I, that's one of my goals, actually, to be able I'm doing some <laughs> yoga and exercises like that, but I haven't gotten to my toes just yet. But it's a good goal. I'm going to make sure that I get there. I'll let you know. All right. What's one subject that you would like to learn more about? So I think this stems from uh, my student rider days and knowing lots of international students. But I think a life goal of mine would be to learn a second language because and probably Spanish because I love the Spanish culture and the language. But just I think it's inspirational going to these international competitions and how um, as an English speaker, everyone speaks my language and I can be incredibly lazy. But everyone that I meet is so fluent and um good at English as well as their own language and probably a couple of others as well so that's something that in the future I would definitely love to to learn I love that great idea great idea all right now now really quick one describe yourself with three words oh okay um I'd say um competitive um ambitious and laid back and I think the third one's a bit rogue but I I think that it's one of the things that helps me be competitive is being laid back as at the same time although that. in certain situations I'm sure my mum probably doesn't agree that I'm a laid back <laughs> <laughs> so laid back so, so how, what, what do you mean with that specifically I I think I'm able to compartmentalize um, my competitiveness so that it, I don't apply it to everything all of the time. Um, I am competitive, but I'm also able to switch off from it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. This makes me so curious. We're going to get to this in a second. I want to, <laughs> I want to dive deeper into this one, but yeah, I hundred, I hundred percent agree. Okay. What is your favorite quote? Um, again, a question related one, but and I can't remember who said it, but I think it's a great one. And it's um, that you are always teaching your horse something. So he's either learning or unlearning whatever you're doing. And therefore, it's something I always try to think about when I'm riding. If it's not helping the horse, just get off and try something. Or if you're in a bad mood, get off and come back another day. Don't ride your horse when you're frustrated or tired. Um and because he's going to remember the time you kicked him in the ribs and socked him in the teeth because you got angry that he couldn't do it. Um, so 
that's one of my favorite quotes. I love that. I never heard that one before, but I, yeah, that's a super good one. Like just that, that mindset of like, he's always like either learning or learning something that it's, it's always, it's always happening. Right. Yeah. I love definitely. that. That's a, that's such a good mindset. I'm definitely going to take that with my, with my young ones. She can definitely <laughs> use that. <laughs> super. Okay. Uh, just one more, one more rapid fire before we dig into the real questions. So how would you like people to remember you? Um, I would like, gosh, this is a hard one. Uh, I'd like people to remember me as someone who was hardworking and I want, I want, I'm trying to think of the word. It's like, I, I like to think that uh, humble, that's the word. I'd like, I'd, I'd like people to remember me as someone that worked hard to get what, uh, where I got to, but I was humble about it. I yeah. think. Yeah, I love that. That's such a good saying. I actually said that um, last week, and I was at a competition like last weekend, and and we were talking about this. And to be honest, like I had a show, but it wasn't a great one. And I was like saying to some people, that that that's the kind of things that humbles you. <laughs> and and there were like Belgian people, and and they were like, "What do you mean with humble?" And to be honest, like I couldn't quite describe the word. Like, how would you describe the word like humble? What what do you understand like under humble? Um, not arrogant or boasting about your successes that um you and also I think from a different perspective like if you're not having success Mm -hmm. but someone else has had successes to be uh excited for them even if you've had a bad day yourself um I think that all kind of wraps up into being humble such a good description thank you for putting that one I'm putting (laughs) this one in there super (laughs) no I, I I think the more the higher level I've got in eventing and the older I've got, I think it, it's something that creeps in and juniors and young riders where people look at other people's success and they're jealous and they put it down to so-and-so had a better horse or spent more money or whatever. But ultimately it's hard to be successful in eventing whoever you are. So if you, if you get some success, it, it first of all, isn't going to last forever and someone's bad luck is not going to last forever. So I think it's just, being supportive of everyone yeah. when they have their own success is a nice way to be I love that that's such a nice this mindset again of like going into it and that's something I really love about eventing too you see a lot of that right people are just happy to get around right it's yeah. not so much competitiveness you everyone is just like happy to get around kind of thing yeah and and when you speak to the top riders you ask some advice on a fence and they might not have a clue who you are but they're going to help you with their experience and give you all the advice they can um they're not going to keep all that knowledge to themselves and i think that's where the sport's quite generous a hundred percent amazing okay super so you passed the test of the rapid fire questions welcome to the real game (laughs) (laughs) so now so so tell us more uh lauren about like your whole journey so you know i obviously already said in the beginning you're about you know on on the edge of riding badminton but please like tell us where it all started because i think your story is just so inspiring just the fact like you know how you got like a normal job quote unquote you got like a nine to five how you're doing everything you got this amazing horse and and you know you are hardworking yeah but like how how where did it all start tell us from the beginning wow um that seems a very long time ago now I think but um but my parents aren't horsey we're not a horsey family my mum got her first riding lesson for her 30th birthday um and she got into riding for a little bit before I was born but 
stop riding when I was born. And I think I was that classic pony mad child. And I think by the time I was eight, my mum decided she wanted to live vicariously through me and bought me a pony um, who then bucked me off every time I rode. Um, (laughs) And when I was crying and didn't want to get back on, she threatened to sell her and I would decide the lesser of two evils was to get back on. Um, So, you know, I I wasn't a natural from the beginning, that's for sure. Um, I was very lucky to have a a very nice 13-2 pony that got me a little bit more competitive. Um, And then when I moved on to horses, again, um, you know, didn't, wasn't able to buy super experienced horses or I, I got one schoolmaster that was quite a lot older but had quite a lot of experience but was in no way easy mm-hmm. um and I kind of think every horse that I had over the years whilst not perfect taught me something be it stickability be it accuracy because they had a tendency to run out and I had to make sure that my lines were perfect or um whatever it was um and I uh, went to uni, uh, had a couple of years after uni before I started my full-time job where I did a little bit of teaching and riding, just and had enjoyed myself rather than sitting more exams. And um, when I, in those couple of years was when I bought Flipper um, as a five-year-old from Ireland, he'd done very little. I think he'd done two nineties, but in a, what we call a classic Irish way where they didn't really prepare. They just took him to the competition. Um, and I found him, he, when I tried him, he was very sharp and he put in a couple of bucks and I did wonder whether I was making a mistake, what I, what I was buying, but there was something about him that just in my gut made me think he was the one. So he, he came to England and it hasn't been a smooth journey. He's, um, really, big jumping and brave but it meant that along the way as a young horse we had a couple of 20s cross country because he would jump so big over a fence or he'd land and he'd just think that that was the end of the question and I was trying to turn and he was ignoring me and then I would never get to (laughs) the second element um and other time and he's also very sharp on the flat and he had a couple of um abysmal dressage tests along the way um but you know it's one of those things where I always knew that a big some big results were in there he was talented and we've built up an amazing partnership now and I trust him implicitly and I have the course photos are out for badminton in two weeks time they came out yesterday I think and I have looked and I would not be sat on anything else other than flipper because I I trust him he trusts me I know he can jump I know he's brave it you know we're venturing into the unknown but you know I'd rather be on him than than something else so keeping my fingers crossed that's amazing and I think that's just an amazing story how you've just like grown in together and that you saw him and there was just something special there yeah I mean I glossed over the fact I do work I kind of forget that I have a job at the moment because I'm just (laughs) on badminton um I do work I, I worked in audit for um four and a half years and the hours were sometimes very long particularly in busy season if I was working till 11 o'clock or midnight and I every morning getting up uh, sometime between 5 and 6 a.m to make sure that the horses are ridden before work um so that I don't have to I'm not stressing that they haven't had their exercise in the day and I've got a lot of work on um and luckily with COVID it's made life so much easier because I've done a lot more working from home so 
I can get a bit more sleep. There's not the commute and I can train in the morning. Sometimes I can train or muck out at lunchtime. I don't have groom, so I've got the mucking out and the poo picking and all of that to do at some stage in the day as well. So um, COVID has been great in some respects because (laughs) I am not in the office as much. Um, But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where because I am sure other riders know it's a lifestyle choice, isn't it? You, um, you wake up in the morning, you do your horses and and then you go to work um, and then you do your horses again and then you go to bed and you repeat. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I can totally agree. I also got my horses at home and uh, to be honest, I'm not going to say that COVID was a good thing in any, you know, I know that there was a lot of people yeah. who, you know, um, that it wasn't good for, but to be honest, for me personally, everyone was like, yeah, how is COVID over there? And I'm like, yeah, to be honest, like, my life is pretty pretty good in COVID times actually <laughs> like it almost felt like bad saying it but to be honest like having horses and having a job and and you know having long hours and just wanting to make sure you can ride your horses as much as possible well the sun is still out during the day it was amazing right exactly <laughs> exactly um I felt the same obviously lots of bad things but in the winter especially when there's not many daylight hours yeah. the fact that I could be at home in the daylight hours and maybe just work late or start a bit late and ride my horse not in the dark made a massive difference so 100 percent, super okay so how how is flipper going right now how what are you still going to do with him like before between now and the Mm. and the the big day and so um we're currently on um wednesday the 20th and trot up is exactly two weeks away (gasps) so wednesday the 4th of may um, so he will have a dressage lesson on Friday and a cross country school on Saturday. Um, he will have either at the cross country school or on the way home from the cross country school, it will be his like last proper hard gallop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next week will just be kind of keeping a bit more dressage. I probably, I've got a show jumping show to go to, to get my, it's more for me than him, get my eye in before the big event. Um, and not winding down so he's doing no work but just keeping the intensity of the work a little bit lighter just to make sure that he's in peak condition by the time we get to um the start of the competition on the fourth so it really is the final tweaks and cherries on top of the cake really at this stage and wrapping in in bubble wrap kind of thing oh yes every morning (laughs) I go out and feel legs and pray that I'm not going to find anything untoward I always say, Laura, just like focus on what you want. It's so easy to like get stuck in like, you know, being worried about things and, and focus on the things that you don't want. And what usually ends up happening if you focus on what you don't want is that you get what you don't want. So exactly, <laughs> keep on focusing on what you want and what you want to happen and which scenarios and, and you know, it's going to work, work out all fine. Yes, I do a lot of pretending it's not happening as opposed to um, really? worrying about it. Yeah, I just pretend it's not happening. I just pretend I'm preparing for any old competition and it's not special and uh if ever everything worked before so why won't it work again kind yeah. of um approach well that sounds like a pretty good approach like you say like it worked out in the past so why would you change anything we would do exactly. anything differently yeah no 100 percent. cool so we talked about like how you got to this point the journey is there anything that you felt like you, you've missed some important things that were in between no i think I've been very lucky uh, that everything that I had planned has kind of 
gone as planned. Um, the I had a minor setback last week where he got a bit of a snotty nose, but um, he never had a temperature and never felt ill. Um, had some antibiotics and he seems to be back on track. But it's a it's a little bit of a worry. But it's not been. Yeah. Lisa's got all his legs still attached, so I, you know, can't can't panic too much. Um, still got two weeks, like I say. So I'm sure there it will be no repercussions by the time we get to badminton. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And you mentioned like already, like I'm, I'm really curious, like what your days look like. You already mentioned it a bit, so you sort of try to get your horses ridden in the morning. Is that right? Yeah, uh, it's I. When I first started work, I initially tried to do them in the evening, um, and I found that quite stressful because if something came up late afternoon, yeah. and then I was leaving the office late, and then it was getting late, and was I going and I also find that I'm just mentally and physically tired by the time I've done a full day's work. And when I do get home, I don't really, can't really be bothered to go and ride. And when I do drag myself out, I do a half job. So whilst it's a bit of a pain to, when my alarm goes off, I don't really enjoy it in the morning. But once I'm out of bed and up, I'm very motivated and I'm fresh. And there's that always that fresh air in the morning, isn't there? And I think that the horses and me, kind of like that and it works and once I know I've trained I'm also awake and ready for the day ahead and the horses are done and I just think it's always a good start to the day which is why I try and do it in the morning yeah no and I think that's such a good idea I also try to always do like those most important things like what's most important to you like the first thing in the day then you know that it's happening that you know you're making progress towards your goals and it just gives that like good feeling right knowing that you've taken care of that and then it doesn't really matter how the day goes for the rest what exactly the most important you've done one stuff. thing that's good in the day so actually you're fine yeah a hundred percent so do you have any advice like for people like apart from that maybe like doing it first thing in the morning but for every anyone else who has like you know big ambitions who's got horses who's got a day job who want to really you know move forward in the sport like what would be your advice to someone who's also juggling a lot of things and finding it sometimes maybe challenging to to be doing it all I think oh it's it's a really tricky one I think understanding what your priorities are and being honest with yourself about what your priorities are Uh, is really important and also managing other people around you's expectations because I think a lot of stress when like comes from not from say if you have a job and there's expectations at work and they don't really understand not a lot of people understand horses and it's getting them to understand how time consuming and what you're putting into your sport outside of work and how important it is to you um without talking about it all the time so they're bored um but uh but I think that's a really important uh, balance to strike and um, something that I've had to be quite careful with, with my job. It's obviously um, working for in professional services, you're obviously providing client services and there's deadlines and there's expectations from senior members, like partners and directors in the company that stuff gets done. That if I'm juggling preparation for badminton and that they, I just have to make sure they're aware and I think that's that's really important. Um, and I also think um, sort of moving, like when you are really busy, once you know your priority, priorities, know what your like mini priorities are. So what your intermediate goals are, like badminton is a 10-year goal. I've been wanting to go my whole life, but I've had Flipper since he was five. He's now 12. Um, you know, my... 
I have kind of intermediate goals in the season and I have an overall goal. And I I think I also have to be careful to not make those goals too hard and fast and be able to move them slightly because like like you say with horses, nothing ever goes quite to plan. They can get an injury or they might lose their confidence. And you've got you can't just stick to that original goal if all the stuff before it isn't leading up towards it. You've got to adjust it. Otherwise yeah. you end up being disappointed. Um, and if if you want to do something by a certain date and it gets pushed back six months or a year in the grand scheme of horses, that's not even very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like a long time when you are like, oh, I should have been doing this now and it's not going to happen to next year. But really, I think if you get into that mindset, you kind of lose sight of actually that you can get there. You just think you've missed it, but it's st- it is still an achievable goal. It's just going to take a bit longer. Yeah. I think that's such a good, good, uh, good remark, actually. And, and that's something that I, because I, I completely nerd out on goal setting. I'm crazy about goal setting. I talk a lot about goal setting on this podcast. Um, and I mean, I, when you set goals, we talk a lot about setting deadlines, right? I, I do believe that deadlines are really important to, you know, avoid procrastination. But that's actually something that I hear from a lot of people, too, that I talk to. And, and they say, like, I, I don't want to set a goal because and everything can happen with horses. I'm going to just, you know go at it and see what happens and then I'll just sort of along the way um and I think that's 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 can sometimes be like a challenging balance to strike because at one time you know it's important to set deadlines because otherwise it might never happen but on the other hand we're working with horses so it's not only yourself that you have to deal with and and certainly with young horses you you never you never quite know what's going to happen and you also want that flexibility to be able to you know adjust to to them and their journey and and what's happening so so yeah I don't know what's your thought on that that's a really uh, good point yeah I mean um, with the goals I, I feel like it, it's really easy in winter where there's no real competitions and you ride and you trot around and you think oh it's going all right but have you actually improved anything because you haven't actually got a goal to prepare for and then when for me as an eventer the spring comes and the event season is imminent and you've got specific things that you know that need to be in place before your competition you your structure of training changes and Mm -hmm. you become much more disciplined with what you're practicing and so actually I think probably an improvement point from my perspective is to start setting some more formal goals through the winter months so that I can make more use of that time Um, so definitely I'm certainly someone that if I have no goal to work towards I don't push myself push the horse at all I I can't it's very easy to go for a hack rather than do a schooling session for example um but equally if that goal that you set suddenly becomes unrealistic it's also not the end of the world if I think that's um kind of how I approach it yeah no I love that and do you do you have some like examples of goals that you will set like you're you're mentioning that you want to get better at this but but like what what are some like examples of goals that you will set for yourself like throughout the winter season um so for example I, I think probably um last season would be a good example so I had certain things that I knew that I wanted to achieve in the season um and I knew that in order to qualify for five star I needed to do um a four star long and I knew and I therefore back in January knew that the four star long I was aiming for was in June and I basically worked back from June and I made sure that by March I would have done all my sort of what I call my pre-season competitions so I've been out to some show jumping and I've done some dressage competitions so that when I go to my first event of the season in March 
I've I've done some practice and of course you go to a competition in January or February and there's quite a few things that aren't very good and you think okay right next week I'm going to go have a lesson and we're going to work on those things so then the week after when you go to another competition a little dressage competition I'm not planning on winning it but I want to make sure that things that weren't good two weeks ago are slightly better if not completely fixed and then I these are all my little goals I then get to March my first event of the season and have my first run at open intermediate and um, I come away I think well that was great as a first run but this and this and this could be better so I've got x number of weeks until my next event and I will then start entering or either booking some training or doing some exercise at home or enter another show jumping show just to um, do some extra practice, all of that stuff. And then ultimately, by the time I'm about two, well, a month before that big four star long in June, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've covered all bases. So there'll be final tweaks, but I don't want to be chasing major, um, major things in my training or my preparation in those final couple of weeks. I want to be going there feeling like I've covered everything I need to and it was just those minor things and obviously anything can happen on the day but I I feel like because I've done all the steps all the way from January everything all the bases should be covered yeah yeah okay so you basically like start in January and then you start going to some shows and then like at the shows you really like you're using the shows to sort of find out where you're at and based on you know how it goes at the shows you sort of define improvement points for yourself is that right exactly I'm not going to shows. I'm not going to many shows wanting to win I don't care what anyone else in the show does I only care where I am with my horse and if that's middle of the field or first or last it doesn't matter because I'm not going there to win that competition I'm going there to be in a competition environment and put into practice the training that I've been doing and then if something doesn't go right I'm like okay that's highlighted that weakness area I need to go away and practice it and then there's only really uh, I kind of have maybe three or four events in a season that I really care about the results all Mm -hmm. the other ones are me refining what I do and I think especially as a an amateur someone that doesn't ride all the time you're going to be a little bit less polished at your first few shows you can't be perfect all the time Mm -hmm. and there's so many variables in competition it's far less controlled than training so you've got to accept that sometimes whilst the training might have gone perfect when you go to your first few shows it it doesn't happen for whatever reason Um, so that's something that I always factor into my preparation yeah I I really love that and by the way I don't think anyone is perfect I don't think there's no such thing as perfect no don't Don't worry I've been at some training recently and I saw former world number one have a proper miss and um, I thought I thought that's so great it's not just me (laughs) Um, I mean they're obviously an exceptionally talented riders but uh, um, you know then no one's perfect all of the time yeah no I do the same thing actually it, it always like it feels a little bit bad to think like that but I also like if I see some really experienced rider and I see they make a you know mistake or a miss in the fence I'm like oh it's not only me it's okay like we're all we're all just human right 
<laughs> no, that's super. No, but I love that. And, and, you know, I always also tell everyone that it's like, you know, fail, the F in failure stands for feedback. That's something that I tell a lot of people. And I think that's, you know, going to shows and just getting that, like you mentioned, highlight on what, what's your working points so that you can actually, you know, find out what those are so that you can actually do something about it. So it's really just feedback, right? Getting that valuable feedback so that you can improve going forward. And even if I do a clear round or I have a good day out, there's ne- it's never perfect. And so it's um, maybe I was really lucky to go clear that day. But on paper, oh, clear, well done. But actually yeah. for me, especially in the early season, I'm thinking, okay, clear. But on another day, that could have been two fences down. So maybe I should go yeah. and practice X, Y, Z to yeah. make sure that I that doesn't happen next time. Yeah. Super. I love that. Okay. So we covered goal setting. That was, that was great. That was a topic I definitely wanted to talk to you about because yeah, I, I think that's such a, you know, important balance to strike, especially with horses and, you know, in other sports, it's so easy to set a certain goal because you only got yourself to like sort of take into account. Like my boyfriend, he's doing triathlon and it's like, he can always set those certain goals. Like he wants his, his cardio to be at this level, his heartbeat, his power meter, all those stuff. But, you know, he only got himself to, to, you know, sort of take into account. And sometimes I'll set goals. It's like, I want to be riding, you know, when, 20 with my mare and then he's like yeah why don't you just do it I'm like yeah well you know the mare isn't ready for it like she, she's not in a place like okay yeah he's like yeah you're just chickening out like no like to be honest like I'd love to do it but my mare is not ready for it and he doesn't quite understand that always that you know you really have to take you know your horse into account and where, where your horse are at also 100% so. I think um I see quite often especially especially within amateurs but also within professionals um who obviously get pressure from their owners to move horses up too quickly and I I'm in that lucky position where I own my horse yeah and I would rather he did an extra two or three competitions or five competitions at a level that he's super comfortable at um rather than moving up too quickly because I always call it massaging their ego when they go out and they think they're great because they find it easy when they then step up they have that extra level of confidence um and you do as well because you you're like well we've done so well at the level below why why shouldn't we move up um whereas people think oh well I've got the minimum qualifications it must be it must be okay to to step Mm -hmm. up now and actually they might not be the horse might not be confident enough it might have done it but it might actually be saying to you in a discreet way, oh, I, you know, I'm still finding this challenging enough. Um, yeah. And it's being able to read and know your horse at, at the same time as right. read yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think anyone who's seen your horse, you know, you're really living this. Your horse, I, I, I know let a few horses who look that confident. Like he's just like, he's really, you know, running around like, owning the whole show it's really like yeah look at me like look how easy I'm doing this like the jumps yeah. that he takes it's crazy um I and I I did quite a lot at um like the novice two-star level um when he was a six and seven year old and probably more than a lot of other people would have done with him but I was I was like he's gaining so much mileage and experience yeah. but if he makes a mistake he's not going to be punished for it so I was very happy to stay at that level and that before he then moved up um so I'm a real advocate of taking your time. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and again, like you can really see it in your horse that, you know, you've worked that way and he's become really, really confident and see where you're at now. So, I mean, it obviously works, right? Definitely. 
Super. So one thing that I definitely also want to cover, a lot of that this podcast is obviously about the whole mental game, the whole mental side of things. Yeah. So, so oh, I <laughs> see so you're like, oh, shit, we're going to be talking about this too, are we? Um, no, but like, I'm, I'm super curious, actually, Lauren, like how you how you deal with that whole mental game like just just the thought of like going into a five-star and i don't mean to make you nervous or anything i just don't know why i say this but i'm just so curious like sometimes i see those those fences that you are riding and i see like the videos or the photos that that they've taken i'm like oh my god like jesus like i want to get there someday but but just the thought of that like makes me shiver kind of thing like how do you deal with all that oh that's a hard question um First of all, I think it so depends on the horse you're riding because when you go out to your first 90 competition on a young horse that's never been mm-hmm. out before, those fences look huge. Doesn't matter who you are or how experienced you are, a small fence can look big if you're on yeah. a horse that you don't know or you don't trust. And I think um, all of the stuff that we've been talking about is build, setting those goals taking your time moving through the levels getting all that experience by the time you get to the top level I have so much faith in my horse and he has so much faith in himself and in me that um those fences don't look unjumpable anymore I think if you gave me any other horse I'd suddenly think they were very big again and it's (laughs) not that they're not big I still think they look big but um I think that um having that um basis of preparation eliminates a lot of those nerves because people think I can't do it but if you've done all the preparation why can't you do it mm. um is, is the way I kind of think about it and also of course designers put flags on it so it must be jumpable <laughs> if, yeah, I, I have to say when I go training if I'm just cross-country schooling or something um I would rarely jump above uh like a meter or a meter 10 even on um my five-star horse um mm-hmm. because my blood's not up his blood's not up mm-hmm. the focus isn't 100 percent there but you put some flags on it and it's a he's going cross country and it's a competition well the course designer says it's jumpable so it must be jumpable and off we go um and i think um so the, yeah that I, I don't know whether lots of people think like that but that's certainly the way i think about it um and i the nerves i think if you if you don't have nerves before a competition you probably shouldn't be there i think you need to have some nerves because the only reason you have nerves is if you want to do well because yeah. nerves is just a symptom of the fact that you'll be disappointed if you don't um, if you didn't care you wouldn't be nervous yeah um and it's just managing those nerves um and i oh gosh how how do i i eat if I try to eat early in the morning and I always have mm-hmm. bacon and egg before a competition because I know as soon as I think about any I think about it too much I get nervous and then I can't eat but you know that you have to have eaten so yeah. I try and eat some protein really early in the morning before it becomes a reality that the mm-hmm. competition is happening and and then I I don't know just disassociate myself with all I don't think about anything bad I only think about my plan when I I've got a plan I've done my preparation I've got my plan and I visualize how I'm going to jump each fence and I visualize the every fence going well and though I think that's that's kind of what I do at every event that is so cool. That is like this. It's so 
cool to hear you say those things because this is what I tell like people to do like visualize your friends like think about all the good scenarios imagine yourself like going over those fans and it's so cool to hear you say those things like being where you're at and you're doing those things and it's working it's yeah yeah it, it does work and and the other the other thing that I find really useful is um I was at a a big at a four star long last year called Bicton um, in the south of England in Devon. And it was um, a replacement for Bramham Horse Trials, which in the UK is like the biggest four star in the country. But because of COVID, Bramham couldn't run and Bicton put on a one off four star long to replace it. And it was huge and it was causing carnage. And um, in the in the stable area, um, there was just like this buzz of everyone being like, oh gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? It's causing havoc. And the, the way that I dealt with that was, first of all, to not talk to too many people because you don't yeah. really want people getting inside your head. But the other thing I was like, I've done my preparation. I know my horse. I know he can jump. Um, we've never had problems at these fences before. So why would we have these problems again? all these people having problems means that when I go well, I'm going to move way up the leaderboard. And that was my <laughs> mindset when I went out cross country. And I think if you go out thinking, oh my God, all these people have had problems, maybe I'll have yeah. problems too. You ride negatively. And so I don't know how individuals would do it themselves, but I just think that's great for me. I'm going to move up the leaderboard when I go well and just try and not talk to anyone else. Yeah. Not, I don't even watch too many horses. I just watch one or two because so many horses are different from yours you know how your horse goes you've walked the course you start watching other people have problems and it starts putting negative thoughts or you write you change your plan and actually it's easier to have your plan in your head ignore everyone else imagine it's just a schooling round and um when you train you you don't have someone going around ahead of you so why would you need it in competition other than you know it's it's nice to watch one or two but it I, I recently went to a competition and I was not until four o'clock in the afternoon spent all day watching people at this tricky fence and then rode it terribly myself because I'd watched so many people. Mm. So I knew that ne I just need to stop watching yeah. and ride the plan. Yeah. So really what you're, you're just like making your own plan and then you focus on your plan and you, you keep on going through it in your head, like what you're going to be doing. Exactly. You focus on the fact that you've done the practice before, you know, that you, you, you know, the horse can do it. You can do it. You've got the mileage. So there's no reason really why, why it wouldn't work out kind of thing. No, exactly. And I think even if you, you've never jumped a fence identical to that, mm -hmm. for example, I'm looking at the course photos and there are some very, very big ditches at badminton and I mm -hmm. will have never seen ditches that big and football <laughs> have never seen ditches that big. But he has jumped a lot of ditches. So why would they cause him a problem? Because he can jump ditches. So that's how I think about it. I love that. And it's sort of like just logically reasoning yourself through it, right? It's just like, look, all those scenarios, like those bad scenarios that might start playing them off in their head, just like, no, stop. Actually, that doesn't make sense because I know that my horse has done this and I know that that's going to work. There's evidence in the past proving that we're actually capable of doing this. Exactly. Yeah, super. That's amazing. All right. I feel like, you know, we can keep on talking about this forever. Like um, <laughs> something that I did wanted to ask you, because, you know, so many people, I think when we look at social media nowadays, it's so easy to think like everyone else has this, you know, just amazing journey. Everything is going amazing. And, and, you know, they never have failures or they never have like a hard day in the office. Like, do you have something where you're like, that was tough to get through? 
um, but where you still like, you know, brushed yourself up, got up again. Do you have something like that that you, you know, like to share with it, with, with people? Well, I, I think anyone who's done horses knows that stuff goes wrong. Um, and if it's not on social media, it's because people can't bring themselves to talk about it. Not that it hasn't happened. Um, yeah. and, uh, for example, I had a horse, I bought him as an unbroken three-year-old, He went to the British six-year-old championships. He went to the British seven-year-old championships. And then he went lame behind. And he had an issue in his stifle that um, with the intensity of the work for that level, it was starting to play up. It wasn't an injury. It was soft cartilage. And so he had an operation and I spent six or eight months rehabbing him and he did a couple of events and then he went lame again. And it got to a point where actually the horse wasn't going to stand up to the work and he had to be put down. And horses take a long time to produce. I, he's, I've had him since he was three. He was then nine or 10. You, I'm basically looking at starting from scratch. Yeah. And it's it happens to everyone. And it's really sad. And um, I think if you, I think you've just got to be like, that's in the past. It was bad luck. I can't change it. I did everything I could to make it right. And it didn't didn't come right but that's not my fault I mm -hmm. have to start again and if you're patient and persistent it happens and the good thing about equestrian sport is that you don't have an age limit it's not <laughs> like you get to your late 20s and you're past it in fact getting into your 40s means you probably have loads of experience and you're a better rider that sort of thing so I think that whilst it feels like a marathon It is a marathon and that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's like you mentioned, that's something that we have to be grateful for. And I think a lot of people actually, they're so much in a hurry. They, they want to, you know, get there now, 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 now. And, and you know, something happens or they, the horse fall lame and they, they think it's, you know, it's the end of it. And I have to get him like healthy and he has to be like up and running like this year. But I, I, I love how you compare it to a marathon. It's, it's really it just... You know, you got the time. There's no rush there. We can, we can, you know, buy another horse and we can train that one to top level. And then, you know, that doesn't work out. We still have time to train another one. And exactly. I, I think that when you see, I think social media pushes people to go faster because they see yeah. their peers doing more than them. And really, they're just at a different stage in the race. Like you might be in mile five or 10, they're in mile 15 or 20. Um, and if you try and skip out the miles in between, then the horse will break or it will lose its confidence or you'll lose your confidence or something will go wrong. You've got to do every single mile along the way to get to the end. Yeah. A hundred percent. So did you actually, did you always believe that you could ride badminton? Oh, now in my dreams, I always believed it, but like from when I was 10 years old, I thought, how, how do people jump, jump those fences? They're so big. I want to jump them. And then, As I got a bit older, there'd be like one fence on the course, like, oh, I could probably jump the last fence. <laughs> Maybe I could jump the first and the last fence. And then over the years, you think, oh, I could probably jump that fence and that combination in isolation or whatever. And then I think if, if you think like that, then gradually over time, you get to the point where actually oh, I can ride the whole course potentially. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I love actually what you mentioned a bit earlier also that, you know, those nerves and everything, like if you've done like the whole journey, you built up all the different steps, there's nothing really to be nervous about. So if you've done like sort of your homework and, and sort of leads up it all together, it's not like, like a black and white moment where you all of a sudden like, okay, now, now, now I, I feel like I can ride badminton. It's sort no. of builds up and then. 100%. And I think for a long time, you don't believe you can. And then all of a sudden these like, drips of like oh maybe oh maybe (laughs) and then it builds up to be like yeah actually you know what I can um yeah that's amazing super so for anyone who's who's thinking now like they're hearing this and like oh my god like I wish I could ride badminton one day they're they're where you were like I don't know 10 years ago what would you say to them don't give up keep working hard um I for a long time thought that because I was an amateur I wouldn't be able to and that I wouldn't get the mileage I wouldn't be accurate enough or I wouldn't be good enough at seeing a strike because I don't ride enough Um, and someone recently made a couple of really interesting points about professional riders and he said the fact that they've got to ride all day every day they can't be concentrating 100% all the time so the fact that you might only ride for your half an hour in the morning or an hour a day if you have a couple of horses isn't bad and isn't as much of a disadvantage as you might think because if you get up and you focus 100% on improving something in that short time frame be it on yourself be it on your horse whatever you can actually minimize that disadvantage of the fact that professionals are riding 10 horses a day because sometimes they're just riding around mindlessly because their brain can't actually function all day every day to the level that you could in your short window and I think that's uh, something to never forget if you have a goal and you go out every day and you take a tiny step towards it then you will get there Um, and it's just being realistic also you know to get to badminton if you're not riding the horse that can go around badminton do you accept that's not your goal or do you sell that horse and start with something that okay it may or may never get there but start with something that potentially could get there Uh, I think being realistic on that is really important as well yeah oh my god there's so much in what you just said that I want to like unpack but there's like you know first of all the perspective like you mentioned there you know with with like professional riders and they ride so many horses a day and you know it would be easy for you to go like that victim mindset and being like oh my god I've only got one horse and I've got a normal job and I've only got horse two horses to ride and you know put yourself in that sort of victim state but it's all about like perspective like like you mentioned like you can also look at it from the other point of view like look they have so many horses to ride every day they're probably wearing themselves out they can't keep concentrated and i'm lucky enough to you know have two really good horses and i can focus 100% being there with them and really make 110% of the time i got with them which is going to put me actually further ahead at the end of the day exactly exactly and and the other thing about you know i don't have to i have a job i can pay my bills with my job I don't have to win a competition to make sure I can pay my bills and that's another really interesting thing someone said to me recently because you know whilst we feel nerves because we don't think we've got enough experience because Mm -hmm. I'm an amateur but actually there's a significant amount of pressure on professionals that actually we we don't have because we're doing it for ourselves yeah Um, I'm doing it for me to improve because I want to do things I'm not having I'm not it's not my livelihood and I think that makes the dynamic of competing different and 
it means that you can really enjoy it. Yeah, that is that's so true. Because I can imagine, like with, with professional writers, like you mentioned, that's that, that's their salary. That's like if they're gonna be able to put food on their plate tomorrow, with, like feed their whole team, feel feed their yeah. family, right? And um, imagine depression, and also like having horse owners, like riding for other people, and they have to be happy. And you know, there's there's so much added pressure that comes along with it. Well, you mentioned like we can do it just for for the fun of it, right? Just for fun and just to improve and. You know, get, have your ultimate goal, but all the steps in between don't matter so much. Um, and I think that's a, a good way of taking some of the pressure off yourself. Yeah. Do you believe anyone can get to badminton? Yes. Yes, yes I, I do. love that. It's hard, don't get me wrong. <laughs> if, if you've got the right horse and you've got the partnership and you work hard, anything is possible. I love that. I always say this, eh? but you you really can't say this because you're there, right? You you really yeah. have the, the the valid validity or whatever you say in English to, to actually yeah. say that. I, and you see it a lot, it, it, maybe not just at badminton, but at higher levels, especially in eventing, um, is you don't have to be technically the best rider, but if you have a partnership with your horse and your horse trusts you, mm-hmm. you can get so far. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And just doing it together. And I actually, I love that you mentioned a few times with, with your distances that you want to get like a last jump school in because you want to, you know, make sure your eye is good. And and that's also something I I talk to so many riders who are like, and myself included, that worry about my distances. And my, is my capability of seeing distances good enough? Am I ever going to get to those levels? Is my, you know, capability of riding distances good enough? And I think it's really, at one point, it's it's nice to hear you talk about that, that that's something that you're also working with, that even, you know, you're at that level now, but that's something that still plays inside of you and that you're, you know, working with on a, on a weekly basis also. Oh, 100%. And my trainer's always like, don't worry about the distance, just think about the quality of your canter. And I, I always that. think, uh, and and the other thing I really focus on is again not training over two big fences because I want to save all my get out of jail free cards and that goodwill from my horse for when it really matters. Uh, so if he's really confident um, and we haven't had bad experiences in training by keeping it simple, keeping it a bit smaller, when I get to the big events, he has no doubts. And if I make a mistake, he'll be like, "Oh, come on then," and you know you. He'll pick me up and off we go. And then I can look after him at the next jump, for example. Yeah. You know, it, it's a team. You are a team with your horse, aren't you? That's amazing. You just made me think that it's possible also for me, Lauren. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this has been so good. Um, I don't know. There's so many good stuff in here. And I think also what you mentioned there also about that, you know, the fact that you you need to make sure you got the right horse, right? Also, and you know, you gotta be willing to, you know, sell maybe a horse that that does is not gonna be capable of doing the level and make those hard decisions. At some point you have to make make the choices, right? What's more important? Is it like being together with this horse and riding that horse, or is it to get there? Like what's what's most important for you and being able yeah. to do make those sacrifices. I, I think that circles back to the beginning when we were talking about knowing what your priorities are. Yeah. Because if you just love your horse and you love competing with your horse, but your horse isn't going to do what you ultimately want to do, mm-hmm. then something has got to give. And like it's, you know, you've got to be sat on the right horse to, to reach your goals. Yeah. Yeah. 
And actually, on that topic, then I gotta ask you. Sorry, I have so many questions I want to ask you. Lauren. I think we're gonna have to do this again another time. But one more question because I'm actually I'm actually just in the process of. So I've gotten to the conclusion that my mare is not going to be riding badminton. She certainly isn't, and she's 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 gotten like to to her limit in in eventing what we can do together. So I'm actually you know putting a foal in her now, and my plan is to start to look for a young event horse. And and what would you say? Like based on your experience at Flipper and that thing that you felt with him, like what would you say? Like you should definitely look in if you're looking for a young eventor, so that you want one that could potentially be doing that level at some point in time. What would you look for? Oh, now every I think if you ask ten people this question, they'd probably give you a million a dollar question. Answer. Right? <laughs> but for me, um, and it's something that um, has become more apparent to me as I've gone up to the higher levels, is that you don't need something that's going to lead on the flat to be competitive at top level at low levels. You need it to be really smart on the flat and then do your double clear at 100 mm-hmm. or um, like novice two star level. Uh, but once you get up to four star, if you can do an okay dressage and your horse is a good jumper, you can be top 10 consistently at that level, even against the best in the world, because the jumping becomes so much more influential. So then when I go out looking for my young horses and I'm no, producer um you know I have my couple of horses but I do buy them as four-year-olds and five-year-olds I buy them young and I always look for that it doesn't necessarily have to be um massive scope but just ease of jumping and athleticism over a fence and the other thing that's really important for me is when they canter that they're really light across the ground Um, So people talk about being blood horses and I wouldn't care whether it had a lot of blood technically Mm -hmm. in its breeding, but if it canted and galloped like a blood horse, your horse is going to stay sound. I just think in the modern sport, there's an awful lot of horses that look beautiful on the flat, but never make it to the very top because they break on the way because their body can't stand up to the galloping. Um, And I'm lucky in that flipper, he's self-francais, bread so he I think he's about 50 or 60 percent so he's he's not Mm -hmm. high high but he's not low thoroughbred Mm -hmm. percentage and um but he's so light on his feet and he's easy across the ground and uh, you know if they that is really important to get to the top level um and then I think that there's bravery um which you can't tell in a young horse you've just got to hope but a lot of bravery goes hand in hand with partnership. And if you produce them slowly and correctly at the beginning, they become brave horses. I love that. That's such a nice, uh, yeah. And it comes back to again, what you mentioned about, you know, take your time and do the levels and make sure that they feel confident, make, make sure that they are going out and just feeling like they're, owning the show kind of thing yes definitely. Uh, yeah 100 percent. cool we get we're getting around like an hour of an interview <laughs> so i mean we should start to wrap this up but uh something i want to ask just like is there something that you feel like i should have asked you something like some story that you want to tell some question where you had like a really good answer to like do you feel like there's something like that yes i think we've covered and um, i covered everything um no, I, I think it covered everything. I think, I suppose there's something around, but it's only a minor point around having that support team around you that yeah. you trust. But that's just a more wider point. I don't think that, I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> I, think, I feel like I've lot, covered a sure. lot. <laughs> so what, what does that support team actually look like in, in your case? Um, so I have my physio um, and my vet 
Um, and they, I've had, and I've also got my farrier and my coaches and I've got a team around me that's been around me for the last, I want to say 15 years since I was in my teens and, um, that I'm able to call them up, especially my physio. Oh, he felt a bit tight on the right range. Should I be worried? Should I do something different? She's always that um, calm and knowledgeable ear that, um, you know, can stop me fretting or can be like, actually, that sounds like something we can deal with um, or anything like that. And I like my trainers, for example, they might not be what I call like fashionable trainers. There's a lot of people you get like the famous people and everyone wants to train with the famous person. But I have trainers that are know me inside out Mm -hmm. and are there for me every step of the way. They don't have to spread their attention through hundreds of people because they're famous and everyone wants their training. Um, They're there for me and they care about my results. And that matters to me. I respect what they have to say and mm-hmm. I think that works better um, yeah. than having a trainer that you go to and then when you get to the show, either they're not there or they're there but they've got so many people that they mm-hmm. help that they can't really give you any attention. Yeah. Uh, and um, obviously having having that there, it kind of contributes to that calm and mental state and managing the nerves because they're a constant Mm -hmm. I think where you chop and change and you don't have that security you can have doubts because you get conflicting advice or um anything like that so for me having my long-term support team around me is really helpful and people that you really trust and that you have that connection with that you you know rather than being a big name or you know being maybe you know the world-class saying the best things just that you have that connection with them. That, that's exactly. It, in the end, whoever your trainer is, if you trust them and mm-hmm. they know you well, that counts for so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a good advice, actually, because that's I, I've been at like parts of my journey where I where I've doubted sort of, you know, should I should I go for the trainer that I think, you know, is going to, you know, give me the best tips and advice and, and you know, really, you know, help me progress. Or should I go for the trainer that feels good, that I feel a good vibe with, that I have a good energy with. And, and a lot of time I ended up with, you know, taking the ones that feels best. But I've certainly had like moments of doubts where I've, I've doubted which one I should go for. But it's uh it is a tr- it is a tricky one because ultimately you've got to have a trainer that's knowledgeable enough for the level mm-hmm. you want to be at. Yeah. But if they and also I'm so I'm very much a person that I don't want someone to tell me it's great all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I need someone to that if it's great all the time, why am I paying you? Um, <laughs> uh, and so I want constructive advice but I don't want someone to eat away at my confidence yeah. either so it's a, a trainers are a very fine balance and them knowing you and mm-hmm. your personality um for sure yeah 100 okay I think that was a really nice uh, part to finish it off with uh something I want to ask you, is there's any like sponsors people that you want to mention they want to give a shout out to who are like playing in a major part for you Oh gosh, well, I have my two sponsors, um, lady called Rachel Corey, who has kindly let me use her water treadmill for the last five years. Um, invaluable part of my training and fitness program. So I cannot thank her enough that she's one of the reasons I've managed to juggle horses and riding. Um, and then also Equine Exceed, who uh, provide all of Flipper's supplements, um, 
gastro joint karma for the big events as well because he's a bit tense and um and then I have to thank my mum <laughs> my mum who's my um PA lorry driver <laughs> platter um so no the support team is massive and I yeah. probably can't name everyone but um yeah it, it's not a one-man show that's for sure oh, I love that that's super yeah and I love I love you mentioning your mom in there it's just, just uh, yeah putting it all together nicely I think that is important right to have the, the close ones to us to really make sure that they're also supporting it and, definitely uh, yeah 100% Super. Thank you so much, Lauren. I'm so looking forward to share this interview with everyone out there. There's so much in here. And uh, again, now when you just started mentioning fitness, I was like, oh my God, we haven't actually talked about that at all. Jesus Christ, we're going to have to do this again sometime. Um, I just want to wish you all the best of luck, Lauren. Um, I'm actually, now when I'm hearing this, I'm like, maybe I can book some flights over to UK. Like I need to be there. I need to watch this happening. No, really, it's... um, it's 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 an amazing uh, achievement like no matter you know if you're gonna be how it's gonna go in the day the fact that you've gotten there with everything you know you've got gotten going on with your job the fact that you've got two horses one on top level and you managed to get there is just uh, incredible so uh, i hope you tap yourself enough it, on the shoulder it's and... a it's a dream come true so i'm i'm planning on trying to make the most of it while i can Wasn't that just the most amazing interview, super inspiring, jam-packed with knowledge. And something I actually forgot to ask Lauren during the interview was where we can follow her journey. So actually, she's got a Instagram account dedicated to her and her horse and their journey. And you can find it on flipper underscore fan club on Instagram. So go find her and then we can share, share her on together for badminton. And then as always, I'm going to finish this episode off with challenging you to start making strides in your mindset so you can truly make strides in your riding. You all heard what Lauren said, everyone can get to badminton. 